Hello, Rick. Hello, doctor. I'm going to wear this for uh, the entire episode. Trying to bring good juju back to the Lakers. Uh, more because of the Adam McKay trailer. Oh, God. We're going to do a trailer roundup this week. I got to wear like the Laker gear. Yeah. <laughs> dude, oh, boy. That looked, dude, that looked dynamite. Sex and basketball. Magic Johnson. Introducing Magic Johnson. Dude, Let's do you go. think there's going to be like multiple seasons of that? No, but they should do that. <laughs> well, they what, they build, that. what if what if they do it so it's like okay, it starts off in the eighties, right? You got Magic Bird, then we go nineties. You got Magic HIV, and then we, tra- we fast forward fast forward like seven years. Obviously, you take a more serious tone. Maybe we get a different director in there rather than Adam McKay. Fast forward seven years, maybe in season three. Shaq Kobe. Shaq Kobe. We're talking three P. Then we're doing Shaq. Kobe breakup drama city. That's right? imagine, if they, four. imagine if they had like a different five. director for every season, like a different showrunner, like capture the tone and everything. That'd be unreal. Didn't even think of that. Let's put it out there. Um, okay. Let, uh, are you ready to go? I'm ready whenever. This is the drive in podcast, episode 67, take one. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to the 67th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have the Express Checkup with yours truly, Dr. O. We have our review of Steven Spielberg's West Side Story remake. And then we have our top billing draft of the greatest Steven Spielberg movie. So use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy the 67th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 67 of the Drive-In Pod. Dr. O on the horn, as usual. Ricky Flicks will be joining me later on in today's pod. Um, we are reviewing the highly anticipated remake of West Side Story, a remake of the 1961 Robert Wise film, a winner of 10 Oscars, nearly sweeping the Oscars. And we're going to tell you just why this remake was an upgrade. It was even better. Uh, But what I do need to admit is that this review was extensive. Me and Ricky Flicks went in depth on this movie. I would say it's arguably the best review we've ever done. So, we're going to go from the checkup today and then we're going to go straight to the express checkup style. I'm going to give you all the headlines Then we're going straight to the review. And then we're going to do our top billing draft of greatest Steven Spielberg films. Also one of our best drafts. Honestly, this is going to like kind of come together as one of our best episodes of all time. So if you want any analysis on the checkup this week, there will be a separate pod dropping this Wednesday along with the trailer roundup. And we're even going to do a succession season finale recap for all of you uh, that enjoy that series and that are locked into HBO prestige TV. So with that being said, let's check the audiences up. West side story has earned $14.9 million in the film's worldwide box office opening weekend. 
The film is underperforming financially despite its four Golden Globe nominations. Next up on the checkup, Tom Holland says he pitched an idea for Spider-Man 4 to Sony. Uh, and he said, quote, but by telling you that idea, I'd be ruining this movie, end quote. Let's see how things pan out this week. Holland's interviews have been must-listen. Speaking of Holland, he also mentioned that Amy Pascal approached him about a role in Across the Spider-Verse while he was on set for No Way Home. He also said no one has come back to him about the idea since. Sherp, Tom, we believe you. We got our first look at John Boyega in 892, a biopic about Brian Brown Easley. The film will premiere at Sundance in 2022. Next up, some massive casting news. Florence Pugh, Rami Malek, and Benny Safdie have been cast alongside Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, and Killian Murphy in Christopher Nolan's next film, Oppenheimer, on the creation of the atomic bomb. Next, uh, Kingsman will begin filming in September and will wrap up Eggsy's story, played by Taron Edgerton. The Kingsman, the prequel to the spy franchise will release on christmas day next disney has removed deep water the erotic psychological thriller starring ben affleck and anna de armas from its release schedule sounds about right it will be released on hulu domestically and on amazon prime video internationally at least we get to see it next up amanda stenberg is in talks to star in the lead role for the acolyte and to wrap up the checkup this week Fandy Newton is in talks to star in Magic Mike's Last Dancer. Steven Soderbergh starring Channing Tatum. Wow, let's see what she does after Westworld. That's going to do for the checkup this week. This is Dr. O sending you to our highly anticipated review of West Side Story. We ain't no delinquents. We're misunderstood. Deep down inside us, there is good. There is good, there is good, there is good, there is untapped good, like inside the worst of us is good. Ricky Flicks, we have a new contender in the best picture conversation. West Side Story is here from the one and only Steven Spielberg. We're giving you the synopsis. We're giving you the Rotten Tomatoes. Give you the IMDb. Then we're going to give you our original thoughts, right? Upon seeing this, what some are calling an instant classic on an instant classic. Talk about that. We got like uh, some classic inception there. So synopsis reads, an adaption of the 1957 musical West Side Story explores forbidden love and the rivalry between the Jets and the Shocks, two teenage street gangs of different ethnic backgrounds. Simple, Right. We got a take on Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. We got the 1961 film. So 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. We got uh, 93% on the thermometer and then 94% on the audience score, right? Critics think it's cinema. Audience thinks it's cinema. Ricky Flicks. What were your expectations going into this movie? And uh, did they live up to them? Yes. First off, it was cinema. That's, that's clear. It, it's cinema. Two. So before seeing this movie this weekend, I rewatched West Side Story 1961. Obviously a classic that, as you mentioned, 10 Oscar wins out of 11 nominations. Unbelievable movie. When I rewatched it, I initially thought, wow, like that was st- that's still really good. Last time I saw it, I was a child, not even a teenager, I would say. Um, there were some points like I would cringe at 
And obviously it looks like it's on a set the entire time, like in the back lot of Hollywood, but the ending still hits, everything hits still. So I'm like, wow, that still was a great movie. But Dr. O, dare I say this was better. This was better. The writing was far better. The changes they made, this obviously was adapted, not just from that, but also from the 1957 musical. But they made this better. Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg. Spielberg with his camera work and tech, uh, tech, uh, technical aptitude in cinema. And Tony Kushner's writing ability. That combination was just apparent here throughout this movie. And I think even changing some of the musical numbers and where they were in the movie, except one, I would say, was a drastic success. It was huge and it made uh, substantial changes and substantial improvements upon the original movie. And I think almost the entire, throughout the entirety of this film, the tone was very good. The pace was very good. And I think was better than the original there. I said it. Wow. Um, Ricky Flex. This might take the audience by surprise. Probably not because we agree on a lot of things, but it was better than the original, bro. It <laughs> was better. It was better. And um, it's not because Spielberg was drastically different from the original because the original material is so damn good. Yeah. Mm. What, what you could tell is when Spielberg made this movie, obviously it's been reported that he has an extreme passion for musicals and especially West Side Story. So it seemed like he paid tribute to it, right? Um, he didn't really modernize it in a way of the setting, but he modernized it in terms of choreography, um, making it a younger, uh, appealing for a younger audience uh, with uh, cast members like Ansel Elgort, eh, but Rachel Zegler, <laughs> okay? Rachel Zegler, an exciting young supporting cast. And he made a lot of small adjustments that made a difference, right? He, no he noticed, right? Maybe songs were in a certain place. Maybe the settings, the literal settings of these musical showcases and uh, choreography. He makes the, the smallest adjustments. Okay, how can I make this better? And it's and it's clearly better. It, it's just it's just obvious. And my expectations going in, I knew from the first trailers this was going to be incredible. I could tell from like the shots from the trailer. You got the jets and the sharks meeting at the garage setting, right where they're about to have the battle, right? The the um what do they call the, the rumble. rumble. So they get the shadows overarching and like going against one another. Um, I just knew it was going to be great. And then you see like the, the, the uh, fire escape scenes with Elgort and Rachel Zegler. Man, that was arguably one of my favorite scenes. We're going to go over it together. But it just had the energy. I didn't know at times if I was watching the 1961 film or the 2021 film. Like he captured some type of energy like that. I don't think any other director could have. And it's just, I think it's mainly because he cared so much about it. So there was all these haters saying like, why remake a classic? This, there's people saying, why this is so unoriginal. Let's not do this. Yet I, I was never doubting Spielberg, right? Mm. He's going to handle this material with care. He's going to give audiences a nice tribute, but also reintroduce it to a new one. And I thought it was exceptional. My second favorite movie of 2021. If I watch it again, it might be my first. And I don't think, it, like, obviously, if Spielberg's taken on a project, you just have to have faith in it, arguably the greatest director of, of all time. But you just have to have faith in it. But even if you don't, I'm usually one of those haters that says, why are we remaking this or why are we doing this? But 1961, like, that is such a long time ago. 
that, and for a musical that's so outdated as in with the set design and everything like that they didn't even have the original like um the person that played tony and also maria didn't even sing yeah that's like, huge that is huge it didn't Much even sing their parts so you have to put respect on this version of it and mm-hmm. also almost everybody except rita moreno on the shark side slash puerto rican side weren't even hispanic in the 1961 version Steven Spielberg was like, nope, that's not happening this time. And not like everyone wasn't Puerto Rican in this version, but they were Hispanic that were on that side. So that I also think made a huge difference as well. So Culturally accurate. Exactly. So I just think that made a huge difference. You could tell by the amount of times they're actually using Spanish throughout without subtitles. I know some people were upset about that online. I think that actually made a difference as well. We'll talk Maybe about it. It might've been a little too much, but I still think I'd rather have that than too many subtitles um, as in translation. Um, but all in all, you just have to have faith in Spielberg. And also there was a significant amount of time between the two movies where yes, there a remake remake had to be done. And I'm just glad it was Steven Spielberg. Let's talk about the decision to keep about, uh, let's talk about the decision by Spielberg to maintain this 1950s New York setting. Okay, there are plenty of directors that would take on this project, plenty of young directors, and they would say, let's modernize this for the younger audiences, rather than maintain, as I said, this vibrant 1950s New York, where you have an influx of immigration, right, you have this strong working class white man who does not necessarily accept, like all of these immigrants coming in, taking stores, taking jobs, right, in such an urban environment. I love that he kept it there because it this story is not really adaptable to 2021 not at all it's it's first of all we're talking shakespeare we're very very old school story i love at first sight man that doesn't really fly today i could i could have saw a director like make trying trying to like incorporate a dating app of some sort like look across the gym oh i matched with you on on tinder that would just be like a netflix movie that failed right i could just see something incredibly cringy happening it's almost like before i saw this movie there was like a quote unquote love on first love at first sight trailer that I saw with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. Right. Right. And when I saw it, I believe it's called marry me. JLo is playing basically herself. Right. Who is uh, she's supposed to get married to this other pop star who she performs with. And she looks at someone on the stage and he's holding a marry me sign. And he's like, and she proposes to him. It's just not believable. It, you, you don't buy it here. There's some romanticism to this 1950s setting. Right. And you have this like cultural divide and where people it's like has like obviously the Montagues and the Capulets, like you have these people that are driving you to not stay with one another. But love is just driving you towards one another. You know what I mean by that? So yeah, I just definitely. don't think that's that story wouldn't have flown for 2021, not even like 1990 and racially charged movies. I mean, people would be very sensitive to that type of movie. And like, we have this like immigration, like immigration, like 1950s is very different than like what, how we think of it now. Right. So it's, I think it's a very unique story. I'm just glad that Spielberg stuck to the roots. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. And I think that the, like you obviously in the intro, different intro from the original, right? You saw Lincoln Center, like is being built. And that was another aspect where the immigrants and also the working class were kind of like together on where they're like big business and wealthy individuals or with a wealthy class, I guess the higher class, I forget what it's called, but they're taking over there where they both live. So they both have that common bond. And that's also what West Side Story is about as well, up on the Upper West Side. It's just about they're both combating the same issues, but just in different ways. 
mm-hmm. I think that's also like clever because I think today if someone took it, um, took this movie today and try to change it to make it theirs, they would just focus on the racially uh, sensitive aspects when that's yep. not what this movie is entirely about at all. So mm-hmm. I think they did a great, Spielberg did a great job of that and just capturing what the 1961 version did, where it, yes, of course, you had the racially uh, sensitive topics that are prevalent in this movie, but it's not just about that. And I think it's just funny because Lincoln Center, like this movie wasn't Lincoln Center, uh, like premiered there. So I think that was also kind of clever. Like if you're at Lincoln Center watching this movie, it's like, oh, that's kind of awkward in the first minute of the movie. And we talked about the small adjustments to this movie. Like, how can you make it different? I think with the first one, you really felt for the sharks, all right? How like the sharks are trying to make their way and establish themselves in this country, right? Rather than going back to Puerto Rico. Obviously, Puerto Rico technically is part of the US. You know what I mean? But it has this takeover of new york city like these as you say these higher ups this wealthier class remodeling the entire city taking away the homes of not only these puerto ricans but these working class young white men who live in broken families like even the start of the movie where they they start snapping right and they start going they're not just in the middle of a basketball court right they're walking through this territory that they own that's being taken over they feel like their privileges are being stripped from them so it, it creates like man, there's some conflict with this group as well. It's not just racially charged. Like right. that, like kind of like the first one is going for this one almost has also, I kind of, I want to talk about decisions made by Spielberg, more of an edge to it. Yeah. Right. Way more of an edge where it's like riff, like talk about edge. Like that guy lives on the edge. I was going to, I was going to just not to interrupt you there. I, that's the, that was going to be my next point there is that even with compared to the nights, I know I keep doing the 1961, but that's one of the, like critically acclaimed movies of all time, ten arguably Oscar, the greatest Oscar wins. like cinematic musical of all time. I, I well until this one. I have another one, but but um, but you can even if you're just comparing the riff characters between the '61 and this version, right? In '61, like Russ uh, Tamblin, I believe his name is. Like he was like I think he's won an Oscar or two uh, as well before West Side Story. Amazing like performer. That. Yeah, but. The way he was dressed up in like a yellow sweater, like he looked like he was a rich kid, but like he was trying to portray the working class, like came from a tough life. And that's why, like in like the Officer Crumpke song was him leading it. He was leading that song in the 61 version saying like um, how mm-hmm. oh, he's like mentally, like socially inept and everything like that. But in this one, the riff in this one, he was definitely on the edge. Like you said, he was wearing like the bomber jacket in the beginning. And then he's has the oil on his hands. The hair is really greasy and not very well kept like the 61 version. And the Officer Crumpke song, he's not even in the on the set. That's not his nope. song anymore. Spielberg changed that. And I think that was so smart to do. You already got Riff's cutting edge from the character himself. Mike Pfizer, I believe his name is. Um, he's like big on the like Feist Feist. Thank you. He's like big in the musical uh, theater scene. Not- he won a Tony for Dear Evan Hansen. Right. So like he's big on like musical side, but um, he could like he was great in this movie. But I think that just shows the parallels between the two movies and the adjustments that Spielberg made that I thought were spot on and much improved. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, let's go to other decisions, like smaller decisions that we're talking about that made the biggest impact. And let's talk about the subtitles. Let's talk about the subtitles because that seems like it's a high topic of interest, I guess, after this movie's been released, whether it's on social media, whether it's in reviews, people like it, people hate it. I personally, I liked it, right? I think America is kind of going through a shift right now because I don't think the language that they were using was too out of touch. And I think that even though you couldn't necessarily make, like if you have no familiarity with 
the Spanish language, you could still understand like what they were trying to convey and their messages. And I think that goes to the acting. I think he was like, I think Spielberg was trying to say, he's trying to evoke emotion. A lot of times when they're speaking Spanish, they're either very sad or they're very angry. And I think it's just, it was more impactful and more significant for them to not just say like, yes, this is what they're saying. This is where they're from. And this almost was like, if you are someone who doesn't understand Spanish, this you're like one of the uh, jets or you're one of the police officers who don't know what these people are saying, but you know, they're upset. You know, they're angry, right? You, you know, they're emotional, right? I think it did make a difference. I thought it was a good decision. Yeah. And not to repeat what you're saying. I think that it also brought like relationship building as like with mm. Bernardo and Anita, like Anita was trying to say, Hey, like you have to try to learn this language. Like we need to be successful here. We're not going back to Puerto Rico and San Juan like you want. Like we're staying here. Yada yada yada. And Bernardo's like speaking Spanish, yelling at Rachel Zegler, um, Maria, his sister, and he like stops himself one time, like in the kitchen eating his eggs, and thinks like, oh, I gotta do this for Anita. And you know, like they love each other, and it's a good like show of expression. And then mm-hmm. the Rachel Zegler, uh, Maria, and Tony, it's like. Tony's trying to learn Spanish or Spanish from uh, Valentina Rita Moreno for Maria and Maria is trying to do it for Tony. So it's just like a relationship builder. And I think that it was very well done in exactly the same way that you're saying, but also on the relationship building aspect. I love that point, Ricky Flicks. Love it. And you, we brought up Mike Feist earlier. Let's hop into these performances because there was a bunch of great ones. All right. Um, let's start off with our lead, Rachel Zegler. Um, she has a bunch of projects lined up. She's going to play Snow White in a Disney princess remake. She's going to be in Shazam Fury of the Gods. I don't know if that was the best decision, but let's go over her performance here, playing an iconic role played by Natalie Wood in the 1961 version. All right. What do you think? Do you think that she lived up to the top villain? So I had high expectations, but I do think that she lived up to it. The voice incredible. Um, I think she expressed the emotions of a Maria to the T I thought she was great. And she had the, like the white dress with the uh, red belt, the way that came about, I thought was better than the 61 version as well. Like that was like also relationship building with Anita. I think that was very good. I, I do think though, this is a tough year for the, if I'm thinking, I always think like, this is an Oscar, um, like an Oscar contender, right? So I'm thinking, all right, like who's going to get the Oscar noms here? Best actress is tough. Top, like the top five actress, is that a top five actress performance of the year? I don't know. Uh, being the Ricardos will probably be on there. Nicole Kidman. You got Spencer with Kristen Stewart. Uh, Jessica Chastain's up there. Isaac Tammy Faye. Okay. And this is for lead, right? Yeah. Mm. So uh, Elena Haim, Licorice Pizza. Yeah, she'll get nominated. Olivia Coleman. I heard it's amazing in The Lost Daughter. Olivia, Coleman, Olivia Coleman's a lock. So that, that's so, five right there. And then we haven't even mentioned, because it hasn't come out yet, Frances McDormand, Tragedy and Macbeth. Like, right. It's just like, it's a... It's going to be tough. tough. It's going to be especially tough because if she was clear far and away, the best performers performer in terms of like a female actor in this movie, she probably would get nominated. Right. I just don't but think she's, she's still rivaled by Ariana DeBose. Exactly. Right? Dr. Rowe. Exactly. Like, how are you going to say she should win best actress over these other leads when she wasn't even the best in her own movie? Right. Arguably, arguably. And yeah. Not even the best, but also just like, I don't know. Like, when I walked out of that theater, I was like, wow. Anita, like uh, Ariana DeBrose, like she pulled that off. And Rita Moreno, like next to Rita Moreno, who's on set, who was Anita? We're going to talk about that decision too. I want to like, talk about that later. That is incredible that she put on this performance. Like even the dancing, like she was a force out there. 
like it was that was like the when I uh like that put me in the back of my seat like all right I gotta put put my recliner back even more and like I have to enjoy this a little more like I was just like wow she was a force very powerful and she did that all in front of the Oscar winning performer in that same role uh in 1961 incredible so I'll go on. I want to talk about Rachel Zegler before we get to Ariana DeBose. I think those are the two uh, standouts. Although I think Mike Feist also you can put in like almost like the big three of the triumvirate here. But Rachel Zegler, she's going to be a bona fide superstar. She's so she's young too. Be, what is she, she like? Twenty? He was eighteen when I think she filmed this. I think Elgort was actually twenty-seven. So there's is a wide age gap, and which sounds terrible, knowing who wants to all the, the misconduct. But <sighs> I thought Rachel Zegler. I thought the casting was on point. Talk about decision-making process with Spielberg. She's like her with the white dress spotlight on her. We got the red belt. She is perfectly innocent. You feel like she is an angel sent from heaven, right? It's just, I thought that the casting couldn't have been better. And then you hear her sing. I think, cause it's like uh, with these stories, with the, with the West side story, uh, with these stories, with the West side story, like as a movie, like we talk about the 1961 version, there's a lot of songs, like obviously there's high tempo. Talk about America with Anita, right? Ariana DeBose, Rita Moreno, all that stuff. There's also, there is the tonight scene, right? By the balcony. She has a booming operatic voice that you would not expect to come out of someone so petite. Like she was absolutely incredible and you're right you talked about it earlier it means something when you are actually singing like and performing in this movie what? right we talk about bohemian rhapsody all there the time and then we took compare it to like taron egerton and elton like and singing elton john himself putting his own spin on it she sounded astounding astounding i i, I, I like i thought like me, I thought immediately after watching, like she's a shoe in for a nomination. Then I kind of measured like her, Ariana DeBose, who would be more likely to get one. I think it's DeBose. And let's go to her now, unless you have something to add about Zegler. Uh, I would just say like, like definitely West Side Story, like the musical had its operatic, like you mentioned, like had, the opera had an influence on it and specifically to the Maria character as well. And like Marnie Nixon, I mentioned before that uh, Natalie Wood, the who played Maria in the 61 version, didn't sing it. Um, and Marnie Nixon did, who also sang, um, for Audrey Hepburn and My Fair Lady. Um, but so like, she's like a great, like forgotten singer in Hollywood. But um, that's what you needed. We got it. And Rachel Zegler, like even before she got this role, like before like the casting or whatever, she had YouTube videos out of singing like Tonight and like all, all the like the West Side Story hits. Uh -huh. So like she was, she this was like the role for her. And she was yeah. pitching herself for it even before the casting. So kudos to her. Now we can get to, you know who. Ariana DeBose as Anita. So she arguably, I, I don't really think it's arguable. She had the hardest role to play filling in for Rita Moreno from 1961, winning best supporting actress. Uh, someone who has, I think if anyone remembers anything from 1961, you say, okay, what's the first thing you think of the 1961 film? A lot of people will say, right. And if they, if they talk about a specific song, you could talk about America. Right. But everyone talks about Rita Moreno. She is like, lasted the test of time right natalie wood unfortunately passed away but rita moreno has been around i think within the last 10 years she's been at the oscars i think she's performed at the oscars she's gotten like an honorary oscar like she has been around so to take up such an iconic performance and make it her own she owned it she owned it so much in this movie i thought i could have watched her dance all day 
I could have watched her. I, I was like hoping that, okay, maybe there's another song in here somewhere. Maybe there's another high tempo with her. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen someone swish a dress better than her. And I'm talking, I mean, I mean, I'll even throw in like what I saw with Greece. Like she's That's better than anybody thinking. in Greece. I like if they're making a Greece remake, a la this, oh, put her in it. Yeah. Put her in it. Put Have her to. as Chacha. Too early Chacha. for Greece. As Chachi. Whatever it is. Chachi. Is that her name? Yeah. A, a Kaniki's girl. <laughs> Just get her for a cameo. That's all we need. But I thought I was kind of nervous at the beginning because I heard such great things about her. She wasn't in the movie that much, but then you get the emotional side of her towards uh, 70% on, right? You see her reaction to Bernardo, who I thought was also amazing in this movie, right? There's not, there's, there's, it's really hard to find a bad performance in this movie, but I thought she hit the emotional side, but I, I just where she stood out was when she was dancing. Jim scene, America, all right? America iconic, was the one I was like, wow. Iconic yellow dress, rocked it, owned it. Oh, man, what do you think of Ariana DeBose in this movie? Yeah, I, I touched on it earlier. Like, she's just powerful. Like, definitely, that was, like, the one she I was power- like, wow. That's the word, dude. That is the word. She is powerful in this role. Yeah, and she that was, like, the, I was like, if they, if there could only be one person get nominated for an Oscar, like, out of the actors, it, had to, it has to be her. That's that's literally what I was walking out. I was thinking, like, ah, oh, Rachel Zegler, tough one this year. Even, it's tough for her, too. But I still think that she, uh, like, it was just that good. Yeah, we got to talk about the male lead here. We got to talk about Tony, played mm-hmm. by Ansel Elgort. Um, I'll start off with my thoughts, and then I'll go to you. I think he was okay in this movie. I don't think he was good. I don't think he held back the movie that much. <laughs> so I think he did hold it back and a little bit. I know I, I texted you, Ricky Flex. I think there was like, when I watched it, there was something clear when I saw it. Ansel Elgort, just as a performer, as a singer, as a actor, right? Not having this like, Broadway background, like all these other performers or like having this booming voice like Rachel Zegler. I don't, I don't think he kind of kept up. I don't think he kept up. And I, I, you see like these guys are athletes out here, the way they're dancing. I like, and I'm watching Ansel Elgort, even just running. I'm like, he just doesn't have it. What these guys have, I always, I also thought his voice, like when he has those one-on-ones with uh, Rachel Zegler. Yes, I think their chemistry was actually very good. But when it came to the singing, he's just not as fast. He's got that baritone, that low voice, which is like he's trying to be masculine and all this stuff. And he even carries that baritone voice to conversation. And he almost got lost in it a couple times when I was listening. He was almost trying to be a little too cool. But I, I don't think he held, held back the movie that much. But you could tell he was the one that didn't, wasn't classically trained to the extent of the rest of the cast. What were your thoughts, Flix? Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be as harsh, but I will be harsh about the running. There was a couple runs. I was like, oh, my God, especially like the be cool scene when he's running after the gun. I'm like, oh, my God, dude, have you ever like and he's wearing Converse's or whatever. I'm like, dude, uh-huh. like, there's no excuse. You're just not an athlete. You were definitely because like he's from the same high school as Timothy Chalamet or something. And like they're both drama kids. So like, yep, no way. Like Spielberg should have helped him out a little bit. Like you got like, He did I not look. Know. He looked like a goofball. He's supposed to be like he's the guy who he will he's kick the crap out of anybody. And yeah, he he's did. supposed to be like, uh, like, if I want to go one on one with you, I'm going to take you down. You got to believe it. I just don't right. believe it. But when he did. But uh, he was just so tall. Like they even acknowledge like they even Lanky. said it in the movie. Like uh, Rachel Zegler did in there, like you're wow, you're tall. I think that was her first words to him. But um, at the end, like when in the fight, the fight scene was 
obviously much improved from 1961. But I thought that was good by him because it really showed his like overpoweredness. So I did think that was good. But the running, atrocious. I do agree with you with the voice, but I think my I think just my expectations were so low for him compared to the rest of this cast because the rest of this cast they are known to be music like singers and performers. He's like you know I baby mean, driver he has released songs before on spotify he is a recording artist so i thought i was kind of expecting a little bit more i didn't know what to really expect because i didn't know like if he's gonna be you're singing west side story some of these are slow paced songs high tempo songs I thought, Danny keep yeah and i think i'm just i think you're with the, the majority i did i think it was all right the singing i thought okay. i was pleasant i was pleasantly surprised i'm not saying he was up to par with everybody else but I thought that was more than adequate for the role he was suggested. Nowhere near the 1961 out Jimmy Bryant sang for whoever played Tony. Just I forget who. The Maria, like the original, like Maria. It's, it's gorgeous. He couldn't yeah. beat it. Like, like he wasn't going to beat the predecessor. I was, I was waiting for that moment though. Cause I like that. If I, I think along with Rita Moreno, what I think of in this movie is Tony singing Maria. Yeah. Just like, I, I just think of that immediately. And I just don't think he brought it. They just couldn't. Cause like, I think in a way these performers, like all like lead supporting cast, you could say they are at the level or even greater than their predecessors. I don't necessarily think he was, but not, it's not like Tony was an absolute beast in the 1960s. Yeah. But also I was realizing like with Ansel Elgort, the same thing you did. Sometimes you're just trying to like push the coolness factor a little too much for me. And I didn't really necessarily like that. Voice. He's it's tried really hard. Yeah. Especially when you can't like run and like keep up with the rest of the performers out there. I just, it didn't, it didn't, uh, didn't uh, come to me resonate. as well. Yeah. Resonate. Thank you. Um, so Ricky Flex, I want to talk about Rita Moreno and I want to go back also to the decision-making process of one Steven Spielberg. I thought by having Rita Moreno and like playing the doc role, in this edition of West Side Story was genius. I think it worked out as like a little gender swap action, but I think why it was so good is because if you didn't have Rita Moreno in this movie in any capacity, right? What were you going to be thinking about Ariana DeBose the entire time? You're thinking about comparison, Rita Moreno. Is she as good? Is she as good? But when you have Rita Moreno in the same movie as Ariana DeBose playing Anita, right? It kind of... It makes you think like, how is Rita Moreno performing rather than like, hey, does she compare well to Rita Moreno back then? You know, it's like it's almost too much thinking, like to think like of Rita Moreno in this role and then also back in 1961. So I think that's I don't know. That's what like that. That's what kind of I was processing at the time. Um, And I thought Rita Moreno was fine, too. I I, like she has her own number in this movie. Uh, Was it was the song Somewhere? I believe that she performs. Um, it was kind of dull. Like, I didn't think it was like one of the best great. scenes of the movie, yeah. but you had to give her some type of shine, some type of tribute. Cause she, as I said before, she is the lasting legacy for the most part of West Side Story. What do you think of her in this movie, Flex? Yeah, I think the switch was uh, very well executed, much better than the original. I think that that character, like uh, obviously the Doc character in the original to the uh, Valentina, Doc's uh, widow, so much better. I think it was just especially being Puerto Rican, having an influence on Tony's life and especially the, like his wishes to be with Maria and then her affection to the community is so much better. And the doc character was more just a whiny figure. This one was just more of a presence. This is a deeper character. Yeah. Way deeper because she is in an interracial marriage. She doesn't, obviously when she is housing 
these lower class white kids and these Puerto Ricans see her housing these white kids. They call her a traitor. Like, like she is in conflict. They give her like an actual juicy role. It's not. So this is why this movie is so good. Ricky Bucks. I would, this was going to be like one of my last points. Spielberg was more interested in making quote unquote cinema or making an excellent piece of art than making a blockbuster. And which is like, this is weird because he is arguably the king of the blockbuster. And that's going to be my last question of this interview. So he didn't have a new rendition of America. He didn't have Ariana Grande making a cameo, singing a song, (laughs) right? He didn't have like Ansel Elgort is probably the biggest name here. And he is the one that's looked down upon most, most recognizable. And he's the one who's looked down most by the, by audiences. Right. So he was just committed. I'm going to grab the greatest Broadway performers, establish them in this movie, right? Young performers. And then we go, right. He wasn't concerned about, is this movie going to make a hundred million dollars on its opening weekend? Right. This movie was not financially successful. It made 15 million in its opening weekend. Right. And I don't think what I loved is that he didn't care about that. And which is so weird because we're talking about Steven Spielberg, Jaws, Jurassic Park, right. E.T., some of the greatest blockbusters in the history of cinema. But he's like, no, I'm just going to make an absolute banger and declare myself back. Yeah, I think you pretty much said it. And then Spielberg, like he's making the Fablemans coming up next, where like you saw the news recently, he'll be directing that. Yeah. Kushner, I think, is on that one as well, writing with Seth Rogen going to play uh, Steven Spielberg's uncle, Paul Dano, as his dad, I think. So just like the, hitting this like artistic achievement, to go into his own biopic, directing his own biopic, which is crazy, crazy to say, but it just shows the power of Flex. Steven Spielberg. He's been around for 50 years, like since 71, his first full, full featured uh, film. Um, but he's still hitting it at the highest of highs. Damn. It's incredible. He, he was kind of in a lull, dude. Like he had BFG, he had Ready Player One. The laundromat. Was, or no, the post, that wasn't the, him, post, was it? the post, the post, the post. Yeah, laundromat is uh, who is Soderbergh. That? Soderbergh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, interesting comparison there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also like he had like Bridges Spies, which seemed like it was just kind of like striving to be an Oscar film, just like the post was like just striving. Like, how many Oscars can we get here? This just felt like I am make like it's a passion project, and he improved upon a cinematic classic, and where everyone said you shouldn't do it, everyone was doubting it. And he proved everyone wrong. He dropped his nuts on the table. He dropped his nuts on the table. And he delivered arguably the best movie of 2021. Um, Let's also talk about, we got to talk about the music and the choreography. Favorite scenes, Ricky Flex. Hit me with it. Favorite scene. That's a tough question. I Favorite number, musical number. Or give me, give me two. Give me two. Well, I, I always... I, I did, I don't think the chemistry between like the original uh, Maria and Tony versus this one was as good. I do think it was really good. So I really did like the uh, scene in the gym when they first see each other, yeah. like the lighting and how like they kind of made paid like uh, in the lighting there, they kind of blurred it out so you can see their faces, but then Homage also can't. The yeah, exactly. And I thought that was so well done. So I guess like that would be my favorite scene. My favorite number is gotta be, tonight tonight like it's just like i don't know that's just it always hits me the maria didn't hit like i think you said it earlier didn't hit me the same way as in the original and that's that was my that's my favorite in the original but in this one it isn't 
like the one are we talking about on the fire escape or are we talking about the where it's cutting for me back on the, fi- the back for me on the fire escape yes it's just and so it, iconic it's so this is what i was like like i don't like elgore as i said not bad not bad um but i thought the way that scene looked i felt like i was watching a movie from 1950 i felt like he captured that moment so perfectly how even like I'm giving props to Elgore here, even the way he scales, right? Athleticism, even the way he <laughs> scales the fire escape. I'm like, damn, this is like hella romantic right now. And like her looking through the gr- like grate and everything. Right, and she right, looks right. so innocent. And she like lo- her eyes, she looks like she's in love. Like it's just like he ca- they capture that love at first sight. And like if any person who watches this movie doesn't have background on the 1961 film, doesn't hasn't read Romeo and Juliet, say you're 14 years old or 16 years old. And you're watching this like, wait a sec. Like they just met each other yesterday. Yeah, you got to have an understanding of Shakespeare. So like anyone who has like, criti- like criticism in terms of that regard, like don't take it up with Spielberg. Take it up with Robert Wise. Take it up with uh, uh, William Shakespeare if you can uh, contact him in any manner. But you can't criticize that movie in that regard. Um, That's one of the notes I had down. It's like it's tough. We referenced about like uh, we talked earlier about how it's tough to make like a movie like this today. But that is like buying into like, uh, first love at first sight today is a lot tougher than it was back in the sixties. That's 50s. why you had to remake it in this setting. It was exactly Spielberg is invincible for the decision. He's invincible yeah. from the decision. So I, right? I completely agree. Um, musical numbers. Uh, tonight tonight was so good. I, I enjoyed it. I, I mean, I gotta go America. Like America was the unbelievable. Dancing. The dancing. And it was Anita. Like, and, like, and we haven't even talked about uh, Alvarez. Let me pick uh, David Alvarez as Bernardo. I thought he was electric too. Like he is a phenomenal athlete. Him as a mm-hmm. dancer, spinning uh, Anita, even him in the gym. Like I think the gym in America were my two favorites, right? And tonight, tonight's obviously that's also in my top. Yeah, three. yeah, yeah. I thought like the gym scene had very much grease vibes to it. Um, <laughs> and, and also it was. I thought it was well. Uh, as you, obviously, you talk about the love at first sight, like that moment that it captures, right? And paying homage to the original. I thought that was incredible. Um, I would say those are my top three, though. I would yeah. say those are my top three. Yeah, America, now I'm thinking about it. America was that good. It was that good. It was. And um, it was. It was bigger, like than just right. like. Uh, it was bigger than the 1961 film. It's like running through the streets. You have males and females yeah. getting involved. It feels like a whole cult- cultural experience. That's what right. the whole song's about. You I know? was thinking about like in the Heights, like Washington Heights. Like I was thinking of, of oh, that yeah. earlier uh, when I was watching that. But then this was just this just hit so harder. This is much harder. <laughs> in the Heights must have been so inspired just by this one number. Now we're thinking about it, right? You had to have. Probably. Right? I, I can't. Yeah. You know, I'm not the biggest musical fan. But the, the way we're talking about this movie, and the way I'm talking about it, I'll talk about, uh, for myself, but I think the biggest reason why I think I, I love this movie, especially more than the original, is because really the blend of the musical numbers and the appreciation of the music and the actual actors singing it and the choreography of the dancing, of course. But this was a movie. This was a cinematic experience. And I think not only with the camera work, that Spielberg did, you felt like you were like really in tune with the characters, like this love that was going on, not just between Maria and Tony, but also with Anita and Bernardo. And then just the whole cult uh, experience, uh, the movie in general. But also, I'm, I really think Kushner will get nominated for adapted screenplay. And he doesn't have an Oscar yet. 
but this could be up there. It's going to be tough for him, like power of the dog we talked about last week. Like it's going to be a really tough category. Again, we've been talking about it for uh, months now, but he brought context to a musical. What do I mean? Tony finally had a backstory. They talked about his prison time and how he got there. A we lot. didn't get a lot. And it made so much sense in the fight and that made the fight better. Uh, what else? They talked more about, like, I, th- I talked already about Officer Krup- Krupke, and they talked more about Risk character and oh actually my God. getting Officer the gun. Oh, my God. Officer Krupke also scene was amazing. We, we didn't even bring that up. That was up. great. That was good, too. Different um, setting. Yeah. And then the Be Cool. The Be Cool, they made that into actually a part of the character development and the relationship between Riff and uh, Tony. Like, yeah. the writing in this movie and the, the changes that they made, to not just the numbers, but the actual context to these characters. Bernardo. Bernardo and his aspirations as a boxer. Anita wanting to own her own store. I'm telling you, man, it just didn't, it wasn't just a musical. This was a sitting mad, like it, this was The more you talk about this, this makes me feel like the 61 film was so surface level compared to what we just saw. It was so surface level. The context was so important. And then, and we also got to bring up, we don't, like we talked about the believability of love at first sight and stuff. The interactions, right? The further interactions, meeting at the subway, going in the museum with Tony Maria, like they're doing their best to make it believable. The right? subway and, scene and was they, tough, I thought, and they, in the they, museum. museum. And, well, I was, well, I'm going to talk about that, but um, it feels like they're making an effort at least, right? And and they're addressing, even in the what I thought was a dragging scene, obviously, when they go to the museum, but they address the fact there was a cultural divide that is between us, and we are the reason people are fighting. The other one, they were so oblivious. They're just like, we need to be together. Da, 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 da. Oh, my like, God. Damn. They're, we have high stakes right now. And like yeah. the people might die because of us. Like, what are we going to do? You know what I mean? It just and, felt like it had stakes. Yes. And I forgot to mention the biggest change I thought from the original to this one that made it act, made it so much better. And it's with Chino. The Chino character made sense at the end. If you haven't seen the original what, what West Side Story, you don't know what happened. Like, just shut off the pod and watch it and then come back to this. Cause we're not, this is all spoilers. Cause it's West side story for God's sake. But, um, he actually, like, and he was non-existent in the first film. All you knew is that he took it to the dance. And then at the end, he just kills Tony. No, this one, like, Oh, he's smart. He's going to night school. He Best wants to be a mechanic. Best Bernard's friends of Bernardo. And then during the dance, like he, even though it's cringy, like throws down the jacket, tries to win Maria. And then he sees the, the girl, the boy that Maria loves kill his best friend it's like oh boom it's go time and you had the guns uh plot line context with that and how he got the gun it, everything connected very Dang. well done not just writing but also spielberg unbelievable that that's why like this as a non-musical fan as myself i have so much kudos and respect for this movie and what they did here and we we we, uh, we obviously both love this movie like to an extremely high extent uh full extent uh, I do want to talk about a detraction I had. We brought it up earlier. I thought this movie, the pacing was great. It was going one after one musical number, right? After the other, developing relationships. There's not a moment where I'm like, uh, maybe like uh, maybe they could fast forward through this part. Except for when they get on the subway, they go to the museum. I got to be honest, Ricky Flicks. Once I saw they were starting to talk at the museum, I went to use the bathroom immediately. <laughs> I was like, I had to use the bathroom. I drank a whole thing of... Uh, Coke Zero, Cherry Vanilla, and I was like, okay, like this is the I know what's about to happen. Like they're about to have this long conversation about their relationship, yada yada yada. I come back from the bathroom, they're still having the conversation, right? I know they want to have depth to these characters. I understand why they have this scene. It can't be 
Well, I mean, honestly, it could be fast paced the entire time, but it almost gives you like a little break, right? It gives you a little mm. break from all mm. the action and all the musical numbers. So did you, I, I assume that you're in agreement with me based on your earlier comments. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. There was like a scene, like after the subway, I forgot where they went, but um, I think that uh, I forget which one, but then they came back to it and they just repeated the same thing on the subway, except that Tony explained like, Oh, I passed this place when I was going to prison. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. And I think that was obviously a change. One of my detractors as well is not just that scene, but the change because I loved in the original, the scene where they meet up not at two o'clock, but six o'clock after work where she works at the beauty salon or the uh, like wedding. Oh like the, yeah. Or, and then you have the whole scene of them like singing about like getting married and like, oh, this is Bernardo. And like, here's like a uh, riff. And then they realize like, this is like never not going to happen so much better executed in that version than this version and the actual like point of it as well. So much better uh, shown to the audience. I like the tone for the most part in this movie in terms of like having the hard edge. We talked about riff with Mike Feist's performance and we talked about the rivalry between the Jets and the Sharks. Obviously we also got to talk about Corey Stoll. I thought he was, he was very good. Right. When I saw him, I was like, yep, that, that is so him. Perfect casting. Very well Um, done. But I wanted to talk about after they have the rumble, you have this very serious moment, Tony stabbing like Bernardo. And then where do we go right after? I feel pretty. Yes. I feel pretty. Doc, 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 doc. I feel pretty. I sent you this text during the movie. I Yes, I took, I put up my phone. Um, Cause you told me there's something, cause we saw it separately. You said like, there was something that I wasn't going to like in this movie. And then what did I send you? I sent you something. Like you during the you, movie. Like during the movie, you said like, yeah, or <laughs> something like that. I have it right here. Oh, I said, okay, yeah, clear mess up in this movie, dot, dot, dot. Not done yet, but wow, very odd. That structure. was it. Structure was so Why weird. would you put that, like, anger management, I think of that now every Me time. Me too, I was going to say that. You're going to put I Feel Pretty after, the movie's been great so far. The tone's been great, the pace has been great. And then you put I Feel Pretty right after the cl- what should have been the climax of the movie. Do it right before. Do it right yeah. before. And then, like, well, there's so much optimism. There's so much hope. And then, boom, it's done. You just don't get the appreciation for the song and number. Because all you're thinking about is, like, oh, my how, God. How, how are they going to deal with this? It's just, like, and I he he definitely put, did that on purpose. But I think that was, that was like, the one big, like, that was wrong. That's I don't know what you were thinking there. Um, and I that's, te- like, uh, Ricky Flick's here telling Steven Spielberg he was wrong but I'm doing it right now. That was that. That was not good. That was uh, uh, like, and he was so good about making sure we have all these musical numbers fit in somehow, some way that all these people, the rest of the, right. The rest of the movie was just off. Like as in like the tone until the end that if you just took that out, it would have been fantastic and perfect. Or just move it beforehand, obviously. Yes. Or just go right before, but obviously you can't take out. I feel pretty like you can't. But like if they put it right before, she did a great so job with better. it. I will say it's just it just oh, felt so odd. amazing with her and the dresses and she looks gorgeous. She's innocent. She's madly in love. And they don't know her relationship with Tony. They keep saying like, oh, it's her and Chino and like things like this. I'm like, oh, my God, these people don't even know <laughs> what just went down. I know this is going this is a long review, but just like a couple quick like notes I, I took down. Like, obviously, I wrote down the way Ansel runs just terrible. Also, the intro scene when you get introduced to Riff, and he's with his uh, his girl coming out of that random at like yeah. that is the trashiest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that was ridiculous. You did not need that. And the intro to West Side Story, 
That is darker, crazy. darker, edgier. <laughs> that was bonkers to see. Um, then also what killed me in the first one, killed me again in this one. And again, this goes to your Shakespearean, like you have to have appreciation for it and kind of just like go with the flow. And we were saying that like buying it to the day one love. Yeah, just accept it. But this is just always tough for me. It's like Anita always saying like, you're like, he's a murderer. It's like Bernardo is the true murderer. Right. <laughs> it's like your, your, your boy's a murderer first and like the truer murderer. You murdered first. Yeah, yeah. you're right. That is, that is so weird. It that kills is like me a, every time I see right, the original and now this one. Yeah, but like it's got to be pretty shocking to her that like she, obviously her like fiance, boyfriend, whatever you want to call him, like it just dies and you find his sister making out with his killer. That's pretty that's that's dark. Yeah, that yeah. is super dark. Like, like, pe- like people like because it is a dark story, which is why this tone that Steel- Spielberg took instead of the 61 tone where it's a little too vibrant and happy-go-lucky and no depth they, like this needed to be darker it's a dark dark story a lot of yeah. times it's tragic it is tragic. the movie was dark like it literally yeah. was dark <laughs> yeah um yeah. and then so my last go- my last one was uh at the end after chino killed tony that was so awkward him just standing there like imagine how awkward that would be like holy crap that but he's like, but, but he's in shock. He doesn't know he's capable of that. Like compared to like what he was in the beginning of the movie. Right. It's just like, like, oh my God, what did I just do? Like, you're talking, wait, you're talking about Chino, right? Yeah. Right. And it, yeah. like, obviously I think they did such Disbelief. a better job in this one. Cause they developed his character. It's like, all right, obviously these relationships are broken. Uh, the people that are upper, like that, even the people, not just the, like the working class that are going to stay working class or the leaders of the group, like a Bernardo, but also like the people that aren't even associated with the gangs, like, even because just because from their uh, associate by association, their lives get ruined as well. Just yeah. because of the Upper West Side. Completely agree. Like, in, I like how you had those like your your detractions there because we were praising this movie. Yeah, Almost I was treating this like this is like a two hundred out of one hundred. Yeah, like this is. Back. Yeah. All right, so let's uh let's give out some scores here, Ricky. What did you give Steven Spielberg's West Side Story? Ninety three. Okay. Ninety three. Solid. Where's that rank from among your uh, best movies of the year? It ranks as number one, Dr. O. That's why I that's your number you. one. Oh my god, I'm going with a 95. It's one point lower than my highest, which I think I do. And I gave a 96, I believe. Maybe I give Dune a 95 too. I so I, to I think this is the best movie of the year. Still, I mean, Dune's still my favorite. Dune, because- Dune might be the but like Dune's also, I think, just the great ugh, man. So here, here's the thing here. They when you talk about Denny Villeneuve versus Steven Spielberg, they both accomplished the impossible. When you have Denny Villeneuve, yes. my two favorite movies of the year, and my, I think are the two best movies of the year. He, like Denny, took an adaptation of a book that no one thought was possible, right? And it already failed once as a movie with David Lynch and absolutely crushed, absolutely crushed it. And then we have Steven Spielberg, where people are saying. You cannot remake a cinematic classic like this and because you, you're only going to fail. Like, there's no way you're going to surpass it. What did he do? Made a better movie than a movie that he made a better movie than the original that nearly swept the Oscars in 110. Like, are you kidding me? Those two, I think, in that regard, very comparable. So 95 for me, 93 from Ricky Flex. Anything else to add? Yeah, I, I have such an appreciation for Spielberg after this, too, because obviously he's known as the blockbuster and action adventure king. 
And he just said, oh, I'm just going to whip out and do a musical real quick. And this might, like, I don't think it'll win Best Picture, but you never know. They, the Oscar, the Academy's weird. And they might say, oh, like, West Side Star remade, like, one of the most uh, critically acclaimed Oscar movies. Spielberg coming back before his own biopic. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm excited. This is this has been a long review, but it's definitely worth the long review. Absolutely. Uh, with that being said, Ricky Flex, let's now move on to our top billing draft of Steven Spielberg films. All right, Ricky, we have maybe our most contentious top billing yet. We have a draft this week that are the greatest Steven Spielberg directed films. Um, Ricky, tell me about your research for this project. What was your approach and what does your uh, big board look like? So most of my drafts, I usually go by strategy as in more like uh, taking the value, taking the value picks. This one between me and you, I think I know your favorite Spielbergs, but now I'm like not too sure. I think I'm just going to go with my heart with most of my picks here. So we're, it's going to see, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? We were just talking about the West Side Story. Spielberg might have the widest range of anybody. Insane. He, he, That's what I noticed in my research. He's the original of the blockbuster with his first, uh, yeah, I won't say anything, but he's done sci-fis, uh, action adventure, created franchises. Um, war movies. War movies, uh, dramas. Historical figures. Yeah. Like, like Period pieces. He even, we won't have to mention Quibi, but he was a part of that. But, <laughs> but all in all, like, Again, 50 years of just excellence, and we get to draft his best movies. It's an honor. I have exactly 10 bangers from Steven Spielberg. Like 10 movies like on the dot that I'm just like, okay, these are quintessential masterpieces like, like, like uh, that stand the test of time. Well, maybe one of them, two of them don't necessarily, but they're just one of my favorite movies in general. It's not, it's, it may not even be like most commonly for Spielberg fans. Um, there is one in this movie I'm going to get to. I have not seen. I'm going to see if you draft it, but I've always wanted to see, and I might watch it after we're done recording here. Um, but I am ecstatic with my 10 movies. Uh, I got two on the outside that I've seen, don't love. But with that being said, Ricky Flicks, let's get to this draft. You got a coin to flip, dude? Yes. Tails. It's tails again. Oh. Okay. I will take, I'm debating whether I want the first pick or not. I think, man, I'm going to take the second pick of this draft. I want the, shoot. Yeah, I already said it. I can't take, I, my, I took my finger off the chest piece. I'm taking the second pick in this draft. I'm leaving the first pick up to you, Ricky Flex. You are now officially on the clock for the Steven Spielberg draft. Okay. I wanted the second pick because now I just said I'm going to go with my heart, but now I'm saying, now that I have the first pick, I feel like I have to pick a movie with the first pick or else this draft, we should just stop it after the first pick if I don't pick a movie here. So. So I took the first pick. I regret it. This isn't my favorite Spielberg movie, but I just. It has do, to we be the first do we trade? Do we trade? Do we trade? The first ever trade. Because because like my favorite is the best Spielberg movie. Do we do we do we I trade? I swear to God, if it's if it's not the one I'm thinking of, I'll be pissed. So I I don't want to trade it. That that's the situation. It's got to be what we're both thinking. 
And like, I'm, well, I'm if thinking you want you, the second Doc. pick, I'm willing to give you the second pick if I get the first pick now. Done. All right, Jaws is the number one yeah. Steven Spielberg movie. It is my favorite Steven Spielberg movie, and I have a long list of favorites from him. This, as we said before, and then we mentioned earlier on, Steven Spielberg is basically the founder of the modern-day blockbuster, where it was appointment. You would circle the calendar. I'm going to see this movie. I don't know how many stories I've, I've heard where people watched and went to the theaters that summer of 75 countless times to see this menacing shark, this combination of wonderful actors with this horrifying story with shortly infused humor. Right. I, I, I don't think there's a movie that quite matches what jaws has brought to the table. And it's an original story. It's not something going off an IP. Uh, you could say, I think the shark has lasted the test of time. It does look very realistic. It's kind of cool to go back and see those stills of basically you only have a quarter of the shark. Right. And then like you have like the rest of it's not even attached and you have like just the opening of the jaws. I love Robert Shaw in this Scheider Dreyfus Dreyfus frequent collaborators early on Spielberg. I, I like. I don't think that I could have picked anything else as a number one pick. This is like the very much chalk pick, but in my opinion, it's the best. And you see the shirts that last the test of time, right? How many people do you see wearing jaw shirts poster. when you're Cape Cod? The posters, I can't. Maybe the best post movie poster of all time. How about of all time? Like maybe we're gonna put that in the podcast studio. I think you have to. It, I think it is. Are we even a po- movie podcast if you don't have it? Um. Yes, yeah, so that's gonna be my number one pick. Uh, I also want to say, Ricky Flux, have you checked out the Netflix series that David Fincher produced, War? Or I think that's how you pronounce it. I haven't checked it out yet. I know as a Fincher fanatic, I have to. But I, So I watched the first episode yesterday. It's 17-minute visual essays. The first one they had, Jaws. Yeah, of course. And like of that, course. after I watched that, I'm just like, man, we should do a Spielberg draft. And if I have the number one pick, I'm taking Jaws. Yeah. Because of how, what it means to people. Because I think it, it means more to people than like any other movies have. And that's saying so much. Yeah, this is at least to me his like clearly the best, but this is my third favorite. Uh, really? Third favorite. I, think I just, this is I think this is my favorite. I I do like I have appreciation for it, and I've I mentioned it already is like first film to ever surpass hundred million dollars at the box office. Of course, like Star Wars two years later like would eventually surpass that, but the first movie to do that that's huge. We today in COVID era we're not getting a. Uh, the year like but even with vaccinations we're not getting to 100 million uh, on a regular basis with blockbusters so i think that's huge and i really do think as well similar to like what hitchcock did in all his movies spielberg was able to use this the just the shark not even being present but using john williams the music the point of view from use like the people on the boat the with the camera work as well and really just establish the presence of this shark and the looming terror from just one shark on this beach your villain wasn't a person like yeah. it, your villain your villain was a animal it was something that couldn't speak and it was 
simply terrifying. It wasn't a monster. It was in a way it's a monster, but it's a shark. Right. And you see like even people trying to make shark movies today, whether it be Sharknado, whether it be the Meg or whatever, like people like want to be like Jaws. They want to, but they can't because there's only one Jaws. Uh, So that's going to be my number one pick. Ricky Flex, you're on with your second. Okay. But your first overall second. Mm -hmm. So I could probably predict your number two and three, and I'm not picking either of those just to let you know. I'm going to pick for my first pick, the greatest war movie of all time, Saving Private Ryan. 1998 which should have won best picture harvey weinstein and shakespeare in love how dare you steal that from steven spielberg i digress greatest uh one of the greatest like real action scenes that 10 minute intro scene of stormy normandy beach unbelievable the cast is phenomenal tom hanks that movie is near perfect obviously long a lot of the that's common theme in spielberg if it's not like one of these thriller, like action adventure thrillers, then it's either, it's either that or it's a long ass movie. This one's one of those long ass movies, but it's the greatest war movie of all time. Everyone loves war movies. I want it on my list. That's why it's my number one. Yeah. So this was my number four. And I think you can easily guess what my, my second and third one are. Oh, it I is know. the greatest war movie. I think there's been some great modern day war movies that have kind of like uh, obviously been influenced by Saving Private Ryan. Uh, whether it be like the treacherous, like, like Hacksaw Ridge, I think of when I think of violence depicted during war movies. I think of even 1917, it's a World War I movie, but and you still like have the brutalness, right? And the shock involved with, with these soldiers and like how they even prepare for these movies, how realistic they can be uh, compared to its predecessors. So I, I love the pick. The opening scene is obviously iconic. I think it's hard to live up to that opening scene for the rest of the movie. The final scene is also, I mean, in the final act, right, is outstanding as well. I think why I don't have it as my two or three, it's the middle of the movie. It becomes more of a drama than than a war movie at points where it's like, okay, it's like the conflicting um, decisions, right? Like the decisions made by Tom Hanks and do these soldiers agree? Are they going to desert? Like, what is like the action? And it's like, has such a patriotic feel to it. No, at the end of the day, we have to do this, right? This is what we need to do in order to support our country. It's what we're being asked to do. And therefore we need to carry out our mission, right? So it's like, it's like the ultimate USA movie. It's all the ultimate USA movie, a great pick. So uh, you're on to your second. Okay. Like I said, I think I know you're. I think I, I know. I know what you're gonna pick. I think I know what you're gonna pick. If you don't pick it, I will pick it. But I don't want to pick it. I don't think. I, I think I know you're two and three, and those aren't my number. That's not. Neither of those are my number two. So I'm right, gonna go saying, my I'm number two. My two and three are different, but I almost have to take this movie if you don't take it right now. Okay, I'm ca- I'm picking Catch Me If You Can. Whoa, whoa! Oh my god! <laughs> I told you. I I know you're two and three, but Catch Me If You Can. This is when you say a cable movie that you have to watch, it's Shawshank and then this one. This one's always on cable, similar to Shawshank. Second and this row. one, you're watching it. I probably could have gotten it later. I know I could have gotten it with my third pick, but you know what? I want it as my second. I can't believe you took it as your second pick, but let's first talk about Catch Me If You Can because this is where Leo. Like he is known as this charming guy from Titanic, right? He's on the rise. He's this young heartthrob. 
what Spielberg does is take advantage of this charm that Leo has. And he becomes a chameleon in this movie, no matter if he's playing a doctor or a pilot, right. Or a lawyer, like you just believe him. He is like the ultimate con artist because he's so, I mean, he's so good looking and you just believe anything he says. And then we Mm -hmm. have to talk Mm -hmm. about the Christopher Walken performance, which is the best scumbag dad that's ever been portrayed on one of the best scumbag dads in the history of movies and like tom hanks is like your third best performer in a spielberg movie that's nuts tom hanks was great in this movie though yes i'm I'm saying all three are amazing performances but i still have leo walk-in i've walk-in leo and then hanks probably yeah and i love how you bring up leo because well of course it's leo and love talking about leo but you mentioned like he was the heartthrob he basketball diaries titanic like coming off titanic and you're joining up after james cameron with steven spielberg his there's arch nemesis in the blockbuster battle that we spoke about earlier. Like this is, this is Leo's time to shine. Like this is his ascendance and this is the real start. I know Titanic got into the scene, the full blown blockbuster scene. So everyone on planet earth knew about him, but this is like, all right, we're on, we're on. He's an adult and let's go. He's with Tom Hanks and step up. Exactly. And I think the last point I'll make here is that Steven Spielberg, what's there's a few things that are common, common in his movies one thing that's kind of like always talked about is like the father son relationships. And this is obviously the clear one with Christopher Walken, but also you could say the Tom Hanks as well, like taking care of him throughout the movie. And at the end, the third act is basically Tom Hanks basically, basically becoming his dad. So I love this movie Christmas time as well. Is it a Christmas movie? Every 20, every Christmas he calls Tom Hanks. Love this movie. So rewatchable. He's Barry Allen. Yeah, so I wasn't going to take this in my second or third round. I was hoping I'd get it fourth or fifth, but you kind of just broke the mold there. And, dude, like... My heart. I have three, like, two... I think the two that I'm going to pick now, you could predict. I want you to write it down right now what you think I'm going to pick. Uh, I, I could take this other movie, and if we were, like, doing a poll, like, who won this draft, like... You would win 100%. I could, I could take a movie right now that would just end it it would end you but i won't because it's not as good as these other two movies in my doc doc i will write down what i think you're going to take and then i'll write down what you should have taken right okay i like this all right so my number two pick will be raiders of the lost ark like one of the greatest like producer slash director collaborations with Spielberg and George Lucas talk about like the two greatest blockbuster minds of the generation Star Wars meets Spiel like Star Wars meets Indiana Jones like it's it's just a heavenly combination with Harrison Ford we did an 80s draft the other uh to about two two three weeks two and a half weeks ago um with Olek and Steve-O and this was my number one pick, I believe. This was my number one pick. And I think, talk about blockbusters, I've taken now Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think I took the biggest blockbuster in the 70s and arguably the big, ah, actually, Star Wars. Yeah, I was going to say Star Wars was like, bigger. Arguably the biggest blockbuster of the 70s and arguably the biggest one of the 80s. It just shows Also Star the- Wars in the 80s. Yes, but this <laughs> is the 
Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Yeah. This this is the power, I guess, other than Star Wars. I think these are the two. Yes, yes, yes. Right? So this just shows the, the power he has at the box office, the practical th- uh, stunts that are being done, stand the test of time. The pacing of Raiders of the Lost Ark is, can go against any movie that has ever been made. It, it, there is no loss. It's a thrill zero. ride. Zero. Zero. It is a roller coaster, an absolute roller. Like a, it's, it's more like King to Ka, where it's just yeah, going just, full speed at all times, right? Yes. It has no better. walls. It's the opposite of better a Disney analogy. ride. The opposite of a Disney ride. So not a roller coaster in that regard. Um, yeah. So any thoughts on Raiders of the Lost Ark? Is now that you the one said you thought it. I was going to pick? Yep. That's uh, both in both scenarios. That was the, uh, as in your favorite and also the winning mentality. Now, this is the one. This is not going to be what the winning mentality would be. I'm taking ET in my, as to mark off the third round. Show me the list that you thought I was going to draft. So the top ones, your favorites. Yeah. As in what I thought you would pick. So Raiders and then ET. And then if yep. you're going, if you're going to win, that's the other one. Yes. That is the obvious one. And we are going to get crapped on. <laughs> See that is probably going to be taken. I ruined round. this. I, I ruined the sanctity of this draft. I know. No, 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 no. Like I, I like that we're doing this. I think it might've even been better if we just gave our own top fives of Steven Spielberg. And then maybe we can do that at the end. Like what we truly. Yeah. Did. Yeah. We can do it. Like, but these are my top three. These are my top three jaws. Raiders of the lost arc ET. <laughs> ET like, Early, like late, like early 80s, Raiders of the Lost Ark, then ET. No, yeah, 81, then 82. Yes, I believe. I talk about the performance of Henry Thomas uh, a decent amount on this podcast, one of the best child performances in a movie. Yes, he has that whiny little voice, and that, like, it, <laughs> at the beginning, it'll drive you nuts. But you, like, I, I, like, who doesn't cry at this movie? The relationship with Henry Thomas, with ET, like, at the end of that movie is so damn emotional so damn emotional you can make all the criticisms criticisms you want about this maybe the worst mother in the history of going cinema. through divorce the, the still the worst mother Another in father the son no of, father and like there's no father like I, have you seen the steven spielberg doc series that came out on hbo a few years back I didn't see it, but like that's just always the thing that they always talk. Like, people always say is like, "Oh, in every Spielberg movie, there's always like a father son thing going on." Yeah, because he he has an, he had an absent father. Uh, he had reconnected with in the late '90s. Uh, he reconnected with him, but that obviously is a theme that plays out in a lot of his movies. And it's interesting, even when you look at like I'll tease a pick here, but Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like he like there's there's plenty Connor. of examples, right, of like the troubles he has with his family with his father uh, specifically and i wonder like we're to talk about the, the fablemans that are coming out basically the biography the biopic that's coming on steven spielberg made by steven spielberg paul dano playing his dad oscar incoming <laughs> oscar <laughs> incoming uh but yeah et is gonna be my third round pick ricky flicks will you take what i refuse to yes i will and it's gonna have to be jurassic park I used to be a hater on this, but not hater. I used to like when Jurassic World came out, I was like, when I saw that for the first time in IMAX, I was like, wow, this might be better than Jurassic Park. I was completely mesmerized by Jurassic World seeing that in theaters. For, me too. I was like, damn, was that better? I, I, I had the same thought. 
And then I saw it again in theaters. I was like, oh, well, that was very good, but I don't know. But then clearly when it finally hit cable and just comparing the two, I'm embarrassed that I even thought that. Jimmy Fallon cameo, disgusting. It is. And the, the another father thing in the Jurassic world, but, and also, also in Jurassic Park as well. But moving on from that, we talked a lot about that. The scene, the, besides all, the two scenes that always I think about in this movie, besides the memes that come from this movie, are Newman getting squashed and then the raptor scene. The raptor scene, that is why movie theaters exist. Terrifying. I wish I could have been in a movie theater for that. Uh, I wish I was alive for that uh, when this movie came out. We should have went but, during the pandemic, dude. Yeah, this movie was. Well, we are in the pandemic. I don't want to be weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. But that is like the reason why this movie is so great and why if we were doing the best movies uh, from Spielberg, this is a top three pick. Just yeah. it is unbelievable. And that scene kind of just encapsulates it. And also dinosaurs, dinosaurs. Stand, talk about a movie that stands the test of time. That's Jurassic Park. Yeah. Nin- 93, you would think it was made in 2020. Like it just looks so damn real. It's 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 literally a masterwork. Um, talk about again, like familial type of thing with the father. We got Sam Neill, doesn't know if he wants to be a dad. Then he's like have make trying to make a relationship with these two kids. Um, his relationship with Laura Dern, and we can't th- forget about our boy Jeff Goldblum and uh, an absolute dynamite performance on screen. Uh, we are now on to your fourth pick, Ricky Flicks. Yes, and I will go with Schindler's List. Ooh. Schindler's List. I think Ralphines, Ralphines robbed of an Oscar. It's the best performance. I think he vastly surpassed Liam Neeson, who got the Oscar. Vastly surpassed. Shocking. But I know this is a Spielberg pilot, so I'll keep it relevant. Obviously, this movie is so long. But it all... But, just moving past that again, I think what really, besides the performances and the story, obviously the Holocaust, and it's so unique based on a true story and everything, but the black and white. The black and white, just representing the Holocaust itself. Like I have a quote here from Spielberg saying that the symbol of life is color. That's why a film about the Holocaust has to be in black and white. That is just the type of director that we're dealing with here. He is, and you saw in in all his movies and just in West Side Story that we talked about, all the symbolization in that, and also just just like with the costume design as well. Just a director that's so that just knows what he's doing, even before that they even before casting. Just he's part. Not he doesn't write the movies, but he's a part of the vision of the movie so much that it makes it his movie. So Schindler's List. That's my third, a fourth pick. So I did a um quarantine trial blog series of like the 100 must see movies that you uh need like obviously need to see um i loved schindler's list i had not seen it i watched it during the beginning of the pandemic last wow. year and i never watched it's, it's this is the ultimate like sit in school teacher waste week and a half of class watching schindler's list i and did maybe maybe you do a res- response at the end of like the week and a half where it's like okay like what did you learn about the holocaust um this movie's deep. It's deep. Liam Neeson is awesome in it, but Ralph Fiennes, I think, argue like it's one of the most underrated villainous performances in the history of film. It, 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 he is pure evil in that movie. It almost it like feels like a villain, like a Star Wars movie, to the point where like it's almost unbelievable 
how a person could do the things to that extent, do like commit those acts, those misdeeds. And it, it's terrifying. He was terrifying in it. And he has never been able to capture that type of performance, in my opinion. I, like, like I'm the very few actors that can easily, in my opinion, the best performance. Yeah. And this is the only best picture win for Steven Spielberg. He also won best directing for this as long as long uh, in addition to um, Saving Private Ryan, won best director. But this is the only other award that he has uh, as in best picture for Schindler's List. And we just talked about him arguably, arguably being the greatest uh, director of all time. And he only has this, a non-blockbuster movie that we've been raving about as being the originator of the blockbuster. And this shows his range though, right? This shows like, his in- extreme range from the blockbuster to the very serious. But this is also like something he's very passionate about, him being Jewish, mm. right? So he, when he sinks his teeth into something, you see the results. Full throttle. Going to be great. All right. My fourth rounder. Um. I'm getting to towards the end of my 10 movies right now. There's two that stand above the rest. They might not be the right picks, but first off, I'm going to go basically where we have, we talk about Tom Cruise in the nineties, right? And like all these dramatic turns he takes before he goes on to this uh, action hero escapade for the next 20 years. And this helps kick it off. I think it's better than the early mission impossible movies and it, it's a sci-fi movie also that kind of it kind of forecasts like the future of like a police enforce like a like in, like police enforcement um, how it's going to be a part of the modern age and it's Minority Report like Minority Report is a banger it's a banger a movie ahead of its time that I don't think necessarily gets the love that it deserves I think part of that is because what is that. Um, what is the freaking Seth Rogen observe and report? I think yeah. of that movie by accident when I'm thinking of oh, my no. movie report oh, just because no. the titles are so similar. So I'm like, observe and report. I'm like, oh yeah, Steven Spielberg. You're like, what? No, is this the one where like the guy exposes himself and Seth Rogen and whatever. <laughs> one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life, by the way. That, is, that movie's utter garbage. Anyone who likes that movie is terrible taste. Sorry. But I'm going to go Minority Report, a movie ahead of its time. Tom Cruise owning it. Colin Farrell as the guy tracking. Oh, that was his come up. That was before in Bruges, right? Yeah, oh, well before. This is a 2002 movie. Yeah, in Bruges. Uh, in Bruges, Google. I thought it was like 2001. Am I wrong? Oh, in what? Bruges? Oh, what oh my god, 2008. Yeah, in 2008. Bruges in 2008. Dude, oh like, my this god, this was well his come before. up. Yeah, I can't believe in Bruges with 2008. That's blowing my mind. It almost has like an early 2000 vibe to it. No. Sorry to go off track a little bit. Yeah, actually a little bit. You're right. I I, I was thinking later though. I de- I'm not gonna lie. I was because I was, you know what I also think of uh, Colin Farrell like come up is that Al Pacino movie. Uh, the the uh, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, the recount the agent. What's that movie? Naga. Now we're going on Insider. No, Colin Farrell Al Pacino movie. The uh, recruit. The recruit. Right. I haven't seen it. I'm gonna just type in the recruit. Yes, the recruit 03 film. So that was anyway. right after this. Okay, so going back to this, my comments, because I am the Tom Cruise stand. Yes, stand. I thought you were going to pick it. I, I can't believe you picked Schindler's List over Minority Report. Schindler's List is a better movie. Obviously, Minority Report is really fun. A sci-fi thrower. Steven Spielberg getting into the sci-fi game again after a long wait. Like he, That was a long time since uh, I'm not going to tease any picks here but a long wait since his prior sci-fi movie. 
And this is like one of those movies that you always talk with your friends, like a futuristic thing, like, oh, what if technology went this far? This is the classic example. Mm -hmm. And this is like one of those, like, this could have been bad as in a Netflix movie gone wrong or a Black Mirror type thing. But it's Steven the visuals Spielberg. don't exactly last. Like it's, right, it was but, a little ahead of its But time. it's also like a mystery thriller, right? It's also like a crime mystery. So it also oh, has yeah. that whodunit feel. It's an absolute feel. thriller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And the ending was like, like psychological as well. Thriller. Paid so off. Love that. So yeah, had the payoff. But yes, that might have been a mistake by me by not picking it. But I'm going with my heart. That was definitely, that was my number seven my seventh favorite Spielberg. I got to look what I had it at. Uh, eight. I had Minority yeah. Port so at eight. I'm the same. <laughs> You're going to make me, man. So uh, <laughs> also Minority Report has the most people, people joke is the most like uh, the care, the actor that everyone sees their face. They don't know who it is. It's Neil McDonough. <laughs> the guy who, who plays his partner in, in like the movie, you know? who's like stuck and like trying to like navigate the whole system while he's going off, like being a maniac and tries to convince Tom, like Tom Cruise to turn himself in and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> so you're making, I don't want to pick this movie. I'm not going to. Well, I, I have a guess. I thought hmm, interesting. I'm not going to, all right, I feel then. like, I mean, it's so boring. <laughs> I, can't, I don't know if I can do it. I, I have a man. I'm surprised. Now I I was gonna say. Now I'm wrong. If you said boring, because this other one I thought it's you were gonna pick. Boring. It's I, it's not like there is a movie here I will not pick. I don't think it's very good. Like I don't think it's lasted very well. One has a, like a great pop culture references and stuff like that. I will not pick that movie. Uh, one movie I have not seen. I will reveal that what that movie is. Oh no. I think I gotta go West Side Story. What just came out. Wow. I think I have to do it. I don't think I have a choice. Like, I feel like we talk, we put such high praise on this movie for me not to put it as a, one of the 10 best films that Steven Spielberg has made, I think it'd be a crime. This probably will be nominated for Best Picture. It's a passion project for one of the greatest filmmakers that has ever come to exist. Like, I think you just have to do it. And like, I, I'd be lying to myself if I picked any other movie from this list and said like I had a better time watching it or that I enjoyed it. And then I, it was a personal favorite of mine compared to the rest of this list. That's a, like, I mean, that's as best as I can say. Because there is a couple on here that have a lot of Academy Award accolades and like things like that. A couple Academy Award accolades. I got to just go with what I, it's recency bias, but I don't care. I thought you were, so that's what I was going to pick. I thought you were going Close Encounters. Never, that's the one I haven't seen. What? You haven't seen Close That is such a Dr. O movie. I'm going, you haven't seen the mashed potatoes and dirt. I haven't, oh I haven't, my God. I, I am going to watch it after this. I could not lie to myself and pick that movie, but there's also another movie, obviously, that I assume is going to go undrafted. I, unless you take it. I honestly, because I had a question here for you, because I, that is such a Dr. O movie that you had Jaws, obviously. And I was going to say, which is the better Richard Dreyfus performance in a Spielberg? It's right role. after, too. It's like 78. Yeah, 77, I think, or 78. Um, but I was just like, What's the better role? What did he do better at? 
I couldn't, and, I can't pick it. And I'm I have sure. a clear answer, but I think other people would disagree with me. I, I'm going to watch it and report back. Man, all right. I can't pick Close Encounters because there's a lot of things I wrote down, just like funny jokes from the movie. Richard Dreyfus is unreal in Jaws, by the way. Absolute prick. I know, but <laughs> I love him at Close Encounters. I got to watch it. I, he, like, I can't is, pick it if I haven't he, seen it. So, another, so like obviously, Close Encounters, I'm not going to pick it. Um, I was going to, I, it's my number nine. Uh, Spielberg or 10 West Side Story is now my number nine but um but uh I was gonna You're say gonna take- another besides the father-son relationship like obviously this one and I'm not gonna spoil anything for you but that's apparent in this one and also Spielberg another thing with him a theme is like ordinary people like have just crazy things happen to him and this is just what like he started that trend with this movie so you gotta watch it I'm shocked, but I'm gonna um, watch it tonight. I, I gotta watch Succession. I'll watch it tomorrow. But uh, West Side Story, phenomenal, uh, great pick. Um, all right, I'll round this out. Are you gonna take it? It is my number eleven. If I'm not gonna pick Close Encounters, then that is my number eleven. Um, I picked it for, I picked it for uh, the, I think my number one pick for like uh, people playing real people. Lincoln, I'm going to do it. Like, I think it's uh, on the rewatch I did before making that pick. It is so much better than I remember. Um, Just compared to what's what's left. Like I like close encounters so much more, but I want, there's just so many things I want to talk about that movie that I just can't. So just for the purpose, Lincoln, the greatest uh, performance of a real person of all time, the greatest uh, method actor of all time, Dana Day Lewis playing Abraham Lincoln. What else can I say? Like, it could have done a different story. Obviously, doing it around the mm-hmm. amend, trying to get the Thirteenth Amendment going, Emancipation Proclamation signed by everybody and passed in Congress. Not the like. Uh, obviously, it's it's a popular subject. Obviously, or like, or uh, it's uh, it's just not as sexy as other things that happen with Lincoln. Obviously, I'm not talking about the vampire slaying aspect, but I'm talking about other things Underrated. that happened in his life. <laughs> so, all I'm saying is they could have done better, but. As what's left, if I'm not going to go with Close Encounters, that I think is the clear next one, just okay. based off the performance itself. So I, I want. So I actually did a lot of research. I thought we were going to do uh, movie musicals initially, and I, I went on a music movie, a movie musical marathon last night, and because um, I, I was seeing West Side Story, I had to see Tick Tick Boom. But then I watched a movie that was arguably better than West Side Story. I watched Singing in the Rain. Singing oh. in the Rain is nearly a perfect movie i just wanted to bring that up really quick and we'll have to do like a throwback review on this pod because i think it deserves recognition from a younger audience because it is astounding like i couldn't believe what i was watching and uh in terms of lincoln like i i would i couldn't rewatch lincoln i couldn't rewatch close encounters i've never seen close encounters but i can't pick lincoln because like daniel day lewis yes he's awesome but if I had to choose a movie to watch, I know this might be, this is where you go into favorite or better. I'm choosing to watch West Side Story all day over Lincoln. I know you didn't yeah. have West Side Story available because I took it. But like, and then like, I'd rather watch Schindler's List. That, ah, maybe I'd rather watch Lincoln than Schindler's List. What? Like, like, I don't know. It's not, they're both not very rewatchable. Just, yeah, sad and long. They're yeah, both but long. they're both freaking long. Uh, Schindler's, I guess, I don't know. What, like Lincoln gets lulls, lulls. When, when like, we do honorable mentions here, I think you'll understand where I'm at here. 
Yeah, I got only two left of my honorable mentions I even considered. Yeah, I wrote down a few just to see like your thoughts on them as in like compared to what we picked, but go ahead. Okay, Do you, uh, I'm going to read the list and you ready for honorable mentions? Yeah, I'll be ready. Okay, so Dr. Rowe has Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Minority Report, and then West Side Story. Ricky Flicks has Saving Private Ryan, Catch Me If You Can in the second round, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Lincoln. So Ricky Flicks, like if you went, if you took out like Catch Me If You Can, you've, I mean, and take out Lincoln probably. I I would say, man, he's just incredible. He is incredible. Like I can't even decide. Like like West Side, I think West Side Story is not going to gain as much garners not enough attention because like obviously only made 15 million at the box office maybe in social media it'll have some presence but that's gonna it's a, it's a recency bias pick but what honorable mention did you have for us okay um so again the only one i would have considered over lincoln would be either the terminal or war of the worlds war of the worlds i had just again on a tom cruise stand like come on now but um and also father son in that one as well um the terminal that's just a feel-good movie tom hanks just doing himself Catherine zeta jones that's not like a in my opinion a great movie that's just like hey you want to get cheered up go watch this movie and tom hanks just not a huge terminal guy i know but i'm just saying like exactly it just seems like like it's almost too happy and it's too like like, almost happy-go-lucky um and it just doesn't seem like it fits a spielberg vibe and i know he does a wide range of things but the terminal did not seem like it fits into any of these categories where it's right. like, but I'm, I think I'm just kind of saying my, like what was left just to say, like, I kind of had to pick Lincoln here. Like, I'm not going to pick hook. I'm not going to pick Amistad. I'm not going to pick. I'm uh, not that bad. Over Lincoln. No, no. Well, like, just spies. To... You're picking bridge of spies. No, or the post? no, I, okay. I, no, I was never going to pick the post. Like, like bridge of spies. <laughs> I considered, I considered it, but I, like, Lincoln, I would never, I would never choose it over. Like, I think you had to choose Lincoln, like honestly, because you're not going to take Ready Player One like over Lincoln, you know, or the Big Friendly Giant. Yeah, or the BFG. Like, you're not taking those movies. But like, War of the Worlds is a good, like, almost like a guilty pleasure when it comes to Spielberg movies. Like, when you think, oh, let's put on a Spielberg movie. You know what? Let's sneak in a little War of the Worlds right now. They made a scary, scary movie four parody from it. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah, so the, I mean, there's honestly, I think the top ten are the freaking top ten, or it's like the eleven, eleven or we have close encounters I haven't seen, so I add that one to my list. That's I think crazy. there was eleven clear cut, like absolute bangers from this man. Uh, I'm gonna watch Close Encounters right after this podcast. Any final thoughts, Ricky? Flex before we wrap up. That I I can't even think. I I like that is such a like I think like, I like that movie a lot, but I think you're gonna love that movie. Um, just knowing you. Um, final thoughts. Again, Bridge of Spies. I will never, ever pick that movie over any of these, even if it was better, just based off of Mark Rylance winning an Oscar for that over all the other great supporting actors in 2015. I like Mark that, Rylance, though. Yeah, of course. And he was good in um, Dunkirk. Oh, he wasn't Dunkirk. but um, I thought he was amazing. I thought he was the best performance in Dunkirk. But um, uh, I'm thinking of uh, the Aaron Sorkin movie, uh, Trials of Chicago Seven. He was good in He's that. Good in that. But um, don't look up. Like him beating out Christian Bale in The Big Short, um, Tom Hardy in The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight, like Sly Stallone and Creed. Like I think that was the other one that 
was nominated in 2015 for best supporting, but beating out those first three, dude, that, he, he, that, that was criminal. the Stallone year. That was no, that was the BS. That was the Stallone year. They give Stallone the Golden Globe, but they didn't give him the Oscar. Right. It was complete bias towards it's anti-Italian discrimination <laughs> oh, that no. Sylvester Stallone did not get that Oscar over Mark Rylance, and it's not Mark Rylance's fault, but this, that was BS. I just that list is absurd. Like the the range of difficulty in Bale, in Hardy, even Sly. Like that is crazy. Like Mark Ruffalo, like just stepped he, it up. Like it just spotlight like one best picture, obviously, and he was great in that. So like it just kind of like kind of goes with the best picture. So you kind of just like the Academy divvying it up. But to give it to Mark Rylance is so criminal. I will never ever willingly watch that movie again communist academy communist academy it's the only way i can explain it that's gonna do it for our draft of steven spielberg movies and that's gonna do it for episode 67 of the drive-in podcast make sure that you are subscribed to the blog right we have some fire new blogs that are hitting um there's west side story written review um there's uh gonna be a most anticipated movies of 2022 that'll be on here and we'll also do a um a list of our own Make sure that you are following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at the drive-in pod, YouTube, subscribe, please, at the drive-in pod as well. Uh, Make sure you have that hyphen in there. First one that pops up. Uh, That's going to do it for the drive-in podcast. Until next time, we will smell you.